Welcome. 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 Welcome to Batavia Covenant Church. Our first scripture reading today is Genesis 2, 15 through 17 and 3, 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And now chapter three, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. So today at the beginning of Lent, we do spend some time uh, examining our lives. Those of you who were here at the Ash Wednesday service uh, kind of got a deep dive into that, um, recognizing um, our, our brokenness, our human frailty, the reality that one day uh, we, we have been made from dust and one day we will pass back into dust. From dust we have come, to dust we shall return. And when we look at our lives now, we see much that is not of what God has uh, his best for us. And so we, uh, in this season of Lent, are encouraged to not turn away from those things, or not to just bury them under the rug, or, or not to just run away and pretend like it's not a part of who we are, but rather turn toward it and face our sin, and face our darkness, and invite God to shine his light into that place. And so today we're going to talk about something that's not a whole lot of fun to talk about. Uh, It's temptation. 
And uh, we're going to look back to the very beginning where Chad started, uh, the book of Genesis, the very beginning. Uh, Because I think there are some important things here to learn about temptation and about how temptation comes into our lives. Um, But then as our gospel reading reminded us today, we we too have much to learn from Jesus, uh, who was tempted in every way, the New Testament says, yet did not sin. So we're going to talk about temptation today, and kids, I need your help. So would you come forward uh, and join me up here, and I promise I will make it worth your while, okay? I have something for you. Come on up, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's join here together in the front. Awesome. Thanks for coming up, Matt. All right, we're going to sit right up here. Perfect. Come on, we need a few more people, or this isn't going to work. Awesome. Wonderful. Come join us. Can you guys sit down here, actually? That way you'll be able to see everything that's going on. Good. So now, do you all, are you familiar with the word temptation? Uh-huh. Yeah? What does it mean? Yeah. It means like you can't do something, but you really want to do it. Yeah, yeah. You can't do it, but you really, really want to do it. That's so good. What's that? Do we get candy? That's the question. <laughs> Uh, no, but you get something, uh, but it's part of this lesson about temptation. Yeah, temptation is, is when we see something that we really want, or there's something that we really want to do, but we know that in order to do it, we're going to be uh, doing something that we shouldn't be doing, crossing some sort of a boundary or breaking some sort of a rule, right? Maybe that our parents have said, or that the government has said, or whatever, Okay, now let me tell you a a little bit about something that my parents taught me. One thing that my parents taught me was never eat too many sweets at one time. My dad's a dentist, so he had a vested interest in this. Um, But So I I learned from a young age that I wasn't supposed to eat a lot of cookies all at once. Well, then I went off to college. And let me tell you about college. College is a place uh, where your parents aren't there with you. And so they're not there to tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing that. So I get a care package in the mail from my grandmother. And if you guys know anything about grandmothers, they make really good cookies, right? Like the best cookies. And my grandma's no exception. She sent me her the best chocolate chip cookies ever. And, and I opened it, and I just started eating those cookies. And I think I ate almost all of them. And, and I had to stop because you know why? Because my mouth started to ache because there was so much shortening and sugar in these cookies that my mouth actually started to bleed a little bit. That's how serious this was. And suddenly I learned why my parents told me to never eat too many sweets at one time. So we're, we're, we're talking about temptation. Temptation is something we deal with with food a lot. But what are some other ways that you see temptation in our world today? What do you think? Hmm, yeah. So what I see in temptation sometimes yeah. is that sometimes I just want to do something, mm-hmm. but it's breaking the world, so mm-hmm. I want to do it, but I can't. That's right. You really want to do it, but you can't. It's kind of a tough spot to be in, huh? Yeah. What do you do when you're in that, in that spot? Mm-hmm. That's good. Like how I can ask somebody. That's really good. 
You know, I think we could all learn a lot from you, Matt. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I, you know, so some, some things that I'm tempted with sometimes is spending too much time on the computer or video games. Anybody? Yeah? Or my phone? Yeah? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, we have some hands here, maybe out there too. What are some other things that are tempting? Yeah? Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about our Bible story. Maybe that'll give us some more ideas. But I need a volunteer uh, to come up. Anna, your hand's up. Come on up. Sit right here. And I have something for you to hold while I tell you the story. A plate of chocolate chip cookies. Yes, and I, you just hold that right there, okay? And please don't eat any, okay? But you, you just stay right there. We're going to look at the story that, uh, that we read this morning for us already, but I love how this, this book tells it. This is from the Children of God Storybook Bible. It's by Archbishop Desmond Tutu with pictures from all over the world. So I'm going to read this, and I want you guys to fill in the blanks because I think you mostly know this story, okay? In the middle of the Garden of Eden grew a very special tree, and God said to Adam, you must not eat the fruit from this tree. But in the garden lived a serpent that liked to make mischief. And the serpent said to Eve, if you eat the fruit from this tree, you will become like God. You will know everything. The fruit looked ripe and juicy, so Eve picked one and tasted it. And then she handed it to, who did she hand it to? Adam, that's right, who was with her, and he ate it too. And as they chewed, the fruit began to taste bitter, and their smiles turned to frowns. That evening, someone was walking in the garden. Who was it? God, yeah. God was walking in the garden. And he called to them, Adam, Eve, where are you? But Adam and Eve were hiding. Why do you think they were hiding? Why do you think? Yeah. They didn't want to get in trouble. They knew they had done something wrong, right? What does it feel like when, when you really want to do something and then you just go ahead and do it even though you shouldn't do it? What do you feel like after that? Guilty. You feel sorry. You feel guilty. What else? Kind of sad. Kind of sad, yeah, yeah. Kind of mad at yourself, right? Because you knew, you knew it was something you weren't supposed to do. Yeah. You know, there's a word that sometimes we use. It's called shame. And it's just when we feel really bad about what we've done and, uh, and about who we are because of what we've done. So Adam and Eve were hiding because they felt sorry. They felt guilty. They felt ashamed. And they were afraid because they had disobeyed God. God said, why are you hiding from me? Did you eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? And Adam said, do you know what he said? He said, Eve made me do it. <laughs> and then what did Eve say? The snake made me do it, right? The serpent made me do it. And God let out a deep, disappointed sigh, like the wind in the trees at night. Not only had they disobeyed him, but they didn't even say they were sorry. They'd never thought of that before. God punished the serpent, and Adam and Eve had to leave his beautiful, glorious garden. From then on, they had to work hard in the fields to grow food. But God still loved them and watched over them wherever they went. What, I wonder, what do you find interesting about this story? Yeah. That um, there's so many other trees around 
Yeah. They act like little children and say, this person made me do it. Oh, yeah, right, right? So there are so many other trees that they could have eaten from, right? It was just the one that God said, you, you mustn't eat from that tree. And then they start pointing fingers at everybody. Nobody, nobody takes responsibility for it. Anybody ever done that before? I, I've, I've done that. I confess. What else? What do, you, what do you think is important about this story? Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God still watched over them. Yeah. That he punished the serpent. He punished the serpent too? Yeah, the serpent had something to do with it, didn't he? He was tempting them. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says the people who tempt people are, uh, have um, a special uh, punishment coming. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, do you guys know this is the first time that anyone had ever done anything wrong? Isn't that hard to imagine? The very first time. God's word, world was good and beautiful and perfect. And then once sin came into the picture, it looked a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, Anna, you've been sitting there with that plate of chocolate chip cookies in yeah. your lap. Really patiently. <laughs> what has it felt like to sit there with that plate of cookies? I've done it before. You've done it before. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Okay, year, baking club. We, we made the, the things, and uh-huh. then we had to wait until the next day. You, oh, my goodness. Them. You had to wait a whole day to eat the things you had just baked. That is so hard. Well, you've demonstrated really good self-control. These cookies are for you guys, and because there's only a few of you here today, you get as many cookies as your parents say it's okay. <laughs> so you guys can take one of these, but before you do, hold on. Um, I'm going to send you back to your seats. I want you to think about um, ways that you can stand up to temptation. Maybe you can think of one of those things that you're tempted to do or that you see other people are tempted to do and draw a picture and talk about it with your parents. How can you fight that urge to do the thing that you know you're not supposed to do? All right, let's, we've got the cookies here. If any adults want cookies, this is the one time you get cookies in church. All right, that's a great idea. Perfect. Oh, All right. Mom, and your mom, too. Okay, great. We're, we're good. We're, we got it good here. I love having our children's voices in the service. Isn't it such a gift? Such a gift to learn with them and from them. I was sitting with this story today, a familiar, or this week, a familiar story for sure, but I was struck by something. I was like, you know, what, what was going on inside Adam and Eve? They fell for this. You know, the world is good. God has given them a good and beautiful garden. What's going on? Why were their defenses down so low? What was it that undermined their defenses in this way? And of course, the serpent is the, the, the plain answer to that. But what's going on? How does the serpent do what he, what he does? And what can we learn about that? Because I think that a lot of times our temptations function in a similar way. I found, as I read this passage, that the serpent uh, uses lots of different talk that undermines our defenses. And I want to look at three different ways that he does that. The first one is he talks about God. Uh, Do you know that this is the first theological conversation in all of Scripture? 
It's the first time that any, per, any created being has talked about God that we have recorded. Now, theology is good, our conversation about God and our understanding of God. But, but what the serpent does is something more than just talking about God. Uh, he, he, he talks about God in a critical way. And as the serpent talks, you start to wonder, like, man, this serpent seems to know an awful lot about God, doesn't he? He seems to know an awful lot about God's inner workings, about what he's doing, why he's doing it. Adam and Eve apparently had walked with God in the garden and talked with him in the cool of the day. Their conversation uh, in relationship to God had always been with God or to God. And now suddenly there's a space where instead of talking with God about their questions or about their temptations, they're talking about God instead. Do you see the difference there? What if we talked to God and with God about the things that we're tempted with instead of just talking about God, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden, the serpent says. It's conversation about God. It's conversation that objectifies God. The second thing I think that the serpent does really effectively is he transforms God's boundaries into a threat. Now, if, if you don't read the Genesis account carefully here, you might miss this. But what does God say to Adam and Eve in the garden? He actually says to them, verse 15 of chapter 2, he actually says to them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. You are free, God says. What does the serpent say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, first of all, the serpent is clearly way overstating what God said, and Eve corrects him on that. But do you see the switch in language? God says you are free, and the serpent says, did God really say you must not or this will happen? He turns God's, prom he turns God's boundary, the way God speaks about this is, is a boundary that must not be crossed. You must not eat from this tree because you will certainly die. It's like telling a child, don't go too close to the edge of that cliff. It's like reading the sign at the national park. Don't go past this point, right? Or you might fall and die. God is describing a natural boundary that's in his world. Now, we can, we can speculate about why did God create this tree in the first place, but that's not really for us to know. But what we do know is that this was a boundary that God had placed in his world. It was not a threat. God did not threaten them, if you break my rules, I will kill you. No. He's describing a boundary in a, in a world that's actually filled with freedom. You are free. But Satan, or, or the serpent, is not really Satan, although the, Satan serves in a similar capacity. But here, the serpent tempts them and says, turns that boundary into a threat. Did God really threaten you and say this? Well, here's what's really going on, he says. He knows that you'll be like him if you eat this. The serpent transforms God's good boundaries for freedom into a threat for death. And finally... The serpent does what I know we've all experienced when we're facing temptation, is that the serpent stokes the desires for more than what God has given. The serpent fans the flames. Look at the fruit. When Eve saw the fruit, she looked at it and she saw that it looked good for food and, 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 and it looked good uh, for, for the knowledge of wisdom as well. 
It looked good to her. And the serpent says, yeah, get a little closer. Take a look at that. He fans the flames of desire within her and within Adam as well, who was right there with her, so that they would feel like they cannot, um, cannot not eat that fruit, right? Now, when you're standing in that place of temptation, it's pretty easy to rationalize to ourselves. Well, certainly God wants me to be happy. Well, certainly God wants me to enjoy my life. Eve might have said, well, certainly God wants me to be wise. That's a really good thing, isn't it? And we start to rationalize. And, 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 and we, we, we start to say, it's okay for me to reach out and take it. But there is the difference, isn't it? There's, there, there's the difference when we reach out and cross a boundary that God has placed. That's when we're succumbing to temptation. Our desires in and of themselves are not sin. Even desires to do things that are not right. That desire in itself is not sin. What, when it becomes sin is, is when we step across that boundary. When we reach across a boundary that God has ordained to take something that is not ours and that God has not ordained for us. Think about this in every aspect of our lives, but especially the big ones. God wants us to be comfortable in our lives and wants us to, to have enough wealth to provide for our families, but, but I can tell you that he never ordains for us to reach out and take it in an unjust way. God wants us to experience pleasure and goodness in our lives, but he never wants us to find that through adultery, to reach out and take that. There are boundaries that God has ordained. It's not that God doesn't want good things for us because he does. The problem is when we stoke our desires to the point that we cannot say no anymore. We can't imagine being happy without that thing or that action or that pleasure. We're in a dangerous, dangerous place. God really does want what is good for us. Do you believe that? I don't know that we always believe that. I think that sometimes we think of God like a, like a stingy uh, a parent or, or a, uh, an overbearing teacher or something. God doesn't really want me to be happy. God doesn't really want me to enjoy my life. But he does. Oh, he certainly does. Look at the temptations of Jesus in the desert. What's amazing about those temptations is that Satan tempts Jesus with good things. He tempts him with food. He tempts him with fame and notoriety. He tempts him with ruling over the kingdoms of the earth. These are all things that God would give to Jesus himself in due time. The temptation was for Jesus to reach out beyond the boundaries of what God had ordained and take it for himself. But Jesus didn't fall for the tricks, did he? He shows us the way. He's our example. Jesus didn't fall for Satan's tricks of twisting the intentions of God, of taking the words of Scripture and using them to justify things that he knew were beyond what God had ordained. Jesus responds faithfully in the weakest place. Can you imagine? If I haven't slept well for two days, I have a hard time withstanding temptation. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days without shelter or food. He's in the weakest place. And yet he shows us what faithfulness looks like. And that is to wait on God to give us the good things that he has promised us. That doesn't mean that we never take initiative. That never means that we're never proactive in life. 
It just means that we refuse to reach across a boundary that God has said it's dangerous to go beyond. Jesus not only gives us an example of how to live, how to stand up under temptation, but he's actually set us free. In the cross and the empty tomb, he's paid the price so that sin doesn't have to hold on to us so tightly anymore. No, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. We can be made new. We can be made clean. Adam and Eve there in the garden hiding in their shame. Jesus says, I want to wash all of that away. I want to provide true freedom and forgiveness for you. Scripture actually says in 1 Corinthians 10 about temptation, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to humankind. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is what life with Christ looks like. This is what, the, the, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross has made this possible, that we would have the strength from God to stand up and even to be found pure at the end. But I think most of us spend a lot of our time hiding in shame. Like Adam and Eve, and maybe even this conversation today has brought up some shame and some feeling sorry and some guilt in your life. The thing about shame is we suddenly become so self-conscious. Adam and Eve didn't know they were naked. They were not self-conscious at all. Suddenly, shame, our sin, turns ourselves in on ourselves, and they cover themselves in, in, uh, in, their, in their fear and in their shame. But what does God do? It's amazing, isn't it? Matthew picked it out. God actually still cares for them. Still cares for them. Even though they've broken the rule, even though they've crossed the boundary, even though they have brought all this shame upon themselves, God takes their fig leaf garments and lays those aside and he makes clothing for them before they even leave the garden. God loves them and nurtures them and covers their shame. He wants to do the same for us. He wants to do the same for you. God sees us in our shame. And Jesus' work on the cross is precisely to meet us in that place. And Lent is the time to do that work and to allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine and set us free. God forgives us. He makes a new way to life. He shows us the way out of temptation and into true freedom. I pray that you'd find that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you do not leave us alone. You do not leave us in our shame. But you have set us free. Jesus, we pray that as we come to the table here today and we receive your body and your blood, we pray that your presence with us and in us would do that work to set us free to forgive us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and to open up new possibilities for true life with you. Pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace both today and forever.
And may you walk in the assurance of that peace wherever today may take you. Amen.